0: It's January 25th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. A hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, the state of Texas is defying the Biden White House this morning and the Supreme Court over the issue of illegal migration. I'll fill you in on this developing story in just a bit. Second, some key takeaways from the New Hampshire primary for you, building the case this morning about the state of our union. Third, the Ohio Senate just joined the House and overriding the governor of that state about transgender policies. We will have a thoughtful conversation about that fourth an update for you out of ukraine a top european general says that russia is outgunning and outmanning the west not just kiev and he's pretty surprised about that so we'll discuss his assessment and the related intelligence failure shortly but first let's get to our top story of the morning texas governor greg abbott fired a warning shot yesterday to both the biden white house and the u.s supreme court by announcing that he would defend the borders of Texas, no matter any recent court rulings. He said that the U.S. Constitution gives him the authority to overrule the White House because in this case, Joe Biden has failed to stop his state from being invaded. Mr. Abbott made that argument yesterday by citing Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution, which says that the U.S. federal government, quote, shall protect each state in this union against invasion, end quote. The governor then laid out the case that Mr. Biden has failed to do that, citing the fact that six million illegals have crossed over the border on Mr. Biden's watch. With that number of six million, that is more than the population of 33 states in this union. The governor also noted that the invasion was happening despite the fact that Mr. Biden has laws and resources to stop it. He's just choosing not to use them. Finally, Mr. Abbott said that illegals are being trafficked by foreign cartels, which are foreign enemies or malign actors that are targeting both the United States and Texas. So that then helps fit the required foreign bit of this very foreign invasion. So putting all of this together, According to Mr. Abbott, it means that Texas has a sovereign constitutional right to defend its citizens from invasion when, in this case, the federal government fails to do so. Indeed, he noted some specific authority in the Constitution. It's Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3. The governor then concluded his statement yesterday by... Insisting and, and and letting folks know that the Texas National Guard and other Texas personnel will continue to defend his state's border with Mexico, no matter what Mr. Biden might say or if there are any court rulings to the contrary. Well, as listeners know, that last reference about courts is regarding the U.S. Supreme Court. They issued a ruling on Monday that said that Mr. Biden had the right to rip out the border wire or other materials that Mr. Abbott had installed on the border, trying to stop the invasion. But less than 24 hours after that uh, ruling at the Supreme Court in D.C., the governor of Texas installed more razor wire and he allegedly blocked some federal Border Patrol agents from trying to remove it. And then, of course, we have this statement from yesterday saying that no matter that ruling, Texas will hold its ground. It will retain its constitutional authority to keep that wire in place and to defend the state of Texas. As you'd probably guess, Democrats are outraged by this. They are demanding that Mr. Biden take control of the Texas National Guard from Governor Abbott. They are calling the governor's actions wholly unlawful and totally unconstitutional. For what it's worth, Mr. Biden has not responded to Mr. Abbott's statement, at least not as of this recording. So those are the latest facts and data this morning on this evolving crisis on our southern border, which I think we can now firmly call a constitutional crisis. Let me offer you my analysis and opinion. Over the past six weeks or so, I've suggested one of two paths to stop what a majority of Americans call an invasion. The first path was for a governor like Mr. Abbott to seal off the border with their National Guards troops and and perhaps other governors could join them. As I've noted, that would result in a constitutional crisis, but it was worth it in my view. And that's because the evidence, ladies and gentlemen, is absolutely clear Millions of unvetted people from around the world have poured into this country, and it has caused both financial calamity, certainly for our cities and states, and also a national security crisis that continues to evolve. And as Texas Governor Greg Abbott argues, Mr. Biden has, in fact, either ignored federal laws to stop this, or he has actively encouraged this invasion. In fact, I briefed you on the fact that he has made it easier for at least Chinese illegals to gain entry into this country. So that was the first path. The other one that I offered you this week uh, was to hold a convention of states. But Mr. Abbott has clearly chosen this former idea. He thinks that the case for states' rights was and is exquisitely strong based on a current reading of our current Constitution. So as we wait for a response from the Biden White House, let's ask what likely comes next. Because if Governor Abbott sticks to his guns... It forces Mr. Biden into some pretty ugly choices. And that is especially true if governors from around the nation decide to join him and deploy their National Guard to Texas. Indeed, to that point, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida said yesterday he would do so beyond what he has already provided. So let's talk about three pretty ugly political choices for Mr. Biden this morning. First, he could try to send in U.S. military forces to Texas to assert control of the border and block out the Texas Guard. But if Biden did that, I suspect that that would cause a political brush fire in this country, probably launch some degree of civil unrest. Second, Mr. Biden could try to take control of these Texas National Guardsmen through legal means. He would do so by federalizing the guards and pulling them back from the border. Now, there is legal debate about whether or not that would be constitutional. It has long been assumed that a president could do that. But this issue percolated once again through the courts during the COVID vaccine mandates and about who ultimately controlled the guardsmen. Unfortunately, the issue was not firmly resolved. But let's assume that Biden were to win that legal fight, that the feds ultimately control a state's national guard. Can we assume that governors like Mr. Abbott would consent to that and just let it happen? I don't know. It's tough to back down from this fight if you firmly believe and have declared that your state is being invaded as Governor Abbott just did. So that sets up the possibility of guardsmen and their commanders having to choose between a governor and a president. And that could lead to both civil unrest and political fallout, especially for Biden. And that is because we have abundant polling from at least the last two years that show an overwhelming majority of Americans believe that, yes, we are being invaded and they want it to stop. And that includes by militarizing the border. So just imagine this particular path for Mr. Biden if he chooses it. If he were to take on this fight, wrestle control of the National Guardsmen away from the governor of Texas, which would then allow for the continued invasion of this country during a presidential campaign. Well, I don't think that would be necessarily politically wise for Mr. Biden, which takes us to the third and probably safest choice for the White House. Mr. Biden could wait for the Supreme Court to step in. And then at some point they would rule on various issues of this very interesting and complicated case about states' rights. But as Mr. Biden sits back and waits for the court to rule, Texas and their guardsmen would then be free to push the constitutional envelope and lock down the border. We would assume Mr. Abbott would do that. And as he does, that would show the nation that actually we can secure the border by deploying the troops. Biden just didn't want to. And that is an ugly political message for Mr. Biden to face as he and Democrats are facing a big election in November. Now, as ever, there is a fourth path. Mr. Biden could actually use his powers to defend the border. That's unlikely, although his rhetoric is starting to change. We discussed that on Monday. He called the border issue a crisis for the first time. So which of these four paths will Mr. Biden ultimately choose? I don't know this morning, but I do know this. We have a political and constitutional crisis, and it's been brewing for a few years, hasn't it? So if Mr. Abbott holds the line, and if other governors join him in any material way, It would be one of the more historic moments in U.S. history. It would be a profound fight over states' rights and reclaiming their constitutional authority when a commander-in-chief has, well, broken their oath to the American people to defend the nation. So let's see what Mr. Abbott does, and if other governors join him in any real way. And if you'd like, contact your state's governors. Let them know what you think that they should do. Meanwhile, I'll keep you posted. And with that, let's take our first quick break of the morning for subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com. Thank you. It is you and your financial support that are keeping this podcast alive. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, I thank you as well. I encourage you to do your part this morning and support the companies that support me. You will hear about them shortly. We'll be right back. Well, folks, by now, you know that some listeners like to call me the angel of death because apparently I deliver such bad news on this podcast. Well, if that's you and this podcast keeps you up at night, well, calm yourselves right back down and do so with a comfy bed from Ghostbed. (laughs) Yep, it's a company that I think makes the finest mattresses in all of America. And y'all know that is true because I own one. I have the Lux model. That one is designed to help people like me who sleep a little bit hot. But they've got other great models too. There's the classic, Uh, there is the massage bed, that sounds fun, plus there's one called 3D Matrix, that sounds scary, but I still want one. Doesn't matter, whatever model you choose from GhostBed, just do it. These mattresses are built with high quality materials, fine craftsmanship, and when you get into that GhostBed, you feel both of those things. And great news, you can get one of these mattresses delivered right to your doorstep. And if that makes you a little bit nervous, you know, to buy a bed without lying in it first, well, I get it. But GhostBed has already solved that problem. They have a 101-day trial period plus free shipping and returns. So folks, if Brian, the angel of death, scares you during the day, let GhostBed protect you at night with a great night's sleep. And here's the best part. Get 50% off when you do. Go to ghostbed.com slash that's W-R-I-G-H-T. And 50% off your GhostBed purchase will be given to you, my friends. But you got to use that website, ghostbed.com slash right. Oh boy, but when you do, you are going to get that good night's sleep that you deserve. I guarantee it. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our news this morning with a pivot towards a mix of domestic and international developments. We start in New Hampshire with three key takeaways from Tuesday's primary. And taken together, they give us a better sense of the state of the union this morning. That, as always, is our ongoing series of who's likely to win in November and why. First, we got some exit polls. This one is from Reuters News Service. It showed that 73% of voters said that the U.S. economy could be described as, quote, not so good or poor, end quote. Meanwhile, 57 percent said that they expect the next generation of Americans to be worse off than they are. That matches other polling that I've shared with you that most of us believe that the American dream is dead. Of this pessimistic group, certainly in New Hampshire, a strong majority of them voted for Donald Trump. However, for folks who thought that things were going pretty good economically, they tended to vote for Trump's Republican competitor, Nikki Haley. I should note that there were some polling differences here about which issue was the most pressing of all concerns. Reuters said that, well, voters said it was the economy. But a separate poll that was done by Fox News found that illegal migration was at the very top of the list, at least for New Hampshire Republicans. And I say it that way because of this next piece of polling. Only half of New Hampshire's primary voters were actually Republicans. The others were self-described independents, which those folks are allowed to vote in the GOP primary. And for what it's worth, the data showed that those independents were mostly left-leaning and mostly they voted for Nikki Haley. And that becomes pretty critical when we start thinking about whether Mr. Trump can be competitive with more moderate or slightly left voters, especially in America's cities and suburbs. We talked about the importance of that yesterday. And to that end, Mr. Trump did pretty well in the burbs. A Washington Post analysis found that he outperformed his 2020 totals in New Hampshire, uh, specifically in the suburbs and namely those closest to Boston. Third and finally, there were also some warning signs and bad news for both Mr. Donald Trump and his competitor, Mr. Joe Biden. Reuters News, for instance, found that 51% of New Hampshire voters, they do not believe that Joe Biden is the legitimate president. He was elected in a fraud. Meanwhile, Fox News said that 35% of primary voters in New Hampshire would not vote for Donald Trump under any circumstance. Now, I should tell you, there is some question as to whether or not these GOP voters are actually GOP voters. Some could be those independents who are left leaning and they voted for Nikki Haley. But regardless, it shows that there remains a streak of opposition to Mr. Trump and his um, colorful personality, shall we say. So those are the three key takeaways that I saw from the election results out of New Hampshire as we now think about our state of the union. For my analysis and opinion, well, it remains the same. All signs point to immigration and the economy as the primary drivers of a lot of voters for this year's election. And overall, when we look at those two issues, voters are not happy with Mr. Biden or Democrats on how they are handling either the issue of immigration or the economy. In other words, it's still a change election this year, although that could change, as you would think. And that is why I will be paying very close attention to these and other issues. And as ever, I'll keep you posted. Next up, we head to the state of Ohio this morning, where the state legislature there has overridden a veto of the governor that will now codify into law certain policies and procedures related to the folks who believe themselves to be transgender. The new law mandates a few things. First, for those folks under the age of 18, our children, they are banned from what are called puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones. And that's because, as the New York Times and others have highlighted, those drugs are poorly studied in how they might affect children in the medium to long term some of the greatest concerns about those drugs include permanent bone loss and no sexual function and that is why european nations like england and sweden have recently blocked access to those drugs for their children now i should note that the new ohio law does allow for an exception for kids who are born as either intersex or hermaphrodites there needs to be some obvious physical abnormalities in those cases The new law also bans parents or guardians from placing their biological sons in girls' sports. This would apply to so-called trans girls. Ohio legislators believe that otherwise it allows biological boys to have unfair advantages over biological girls. For what it's worth, there is a British study that proves that that is true, although others in the trans community disagree. One final thing. The governor had vetoed this legislation a number of weeks ago because he said he didn't want to interfere with parental rights. Those were critically important, certainly more than any kind of state's interest. The House and Senate in Ohio disagreed. They said in this case, preventing child abuse or mutilation, as they saw it, was an appropriate use of government power. Well, as you would imagine, opponents of this new law certainly disagree with that argument. They announced that they plan to sue the state of Ohio, much like they have in places like Arkansas, Idaho, and many other states as well. Those are the facts and data this morning about this ongoing debate. I want to give you two very brief pieces of analysis and opinion. So this law and a lot of others like it might seem controversial, especially when you read the headlines or very emotional views on social media. But there's actually very strong support amongst your fellow Americans for this type of legislation that restricts or bans different pieces of what some might call the trans agenda. But nevertheless, let's look at the data. As a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, 61% of Americans believe that gender is defined by whatever is listed on your birth certificate, either male or female. That is based on a poll from NPR and PBS. Next, 69% of Americans also say that people who think that they're trans should only be allowed to compete in the sports leagues that correspond with their birth gender. That is also the same number, 69%, who are against hormone injections or surgical removal of body parts for kids. All those data, by the way, are from a poll from the Washington Post. Which takes me to my second observation this morning. Reading about this news from Ohio in outlets like NPR or PBS or the Washington Post, you don't hear about their own polling data. They have, well, quietly buried that stuff. Instead, what you're reading are headlines or editorial phrases like gender-affirming care or anti-trans bills. And that's not accurate. And that's a shame. Because this is a very important issue involving our kids, and it deserves rational measured and data-driven consideration as we discuss it and that is especially true when we think of this next fact kids who think they're trans are six times more likely to be autistic and as folks know kids who are autistic tend to obsess about things that aren't necessarily true but that degree of nuance and care about this issue it just doesn't exist in our media and that probably helps explain the numbers that i mentioned yesterday Only 8% of Republicans believe that journalists have high ethical standards, while a still low 34% of Democrats felt the same. That data, by the way, came from the Gallup organization. But here's the point. If we set aside emotion and we embrace logic and reason, along with a lot of compassion, bills like this one in Ohio are pretty reasonable and pretty appropriate. In fact, European nations have managed to take these very similar steps and adopt the same kind of legislation and they're not being labeled as anti-trans or transphobic they're just following the science and the science says let's be very careful with this stuff especially when it comes to our kids finally this morning we pivot to international news this is out of ukraine and boy it could affect your pocketbook the West, ladies and gentlemen, has underestimated the strength and the durability of the Russian war machine. That is the message from a NATO member and Estonian defense chief named Martin Harum. He acknowledged yesterday that the U.S. and European intel agencies have been wrong about what Russia could plausibly produce for its military. And that, he said, means that Western governments and taxpayers like you will be on the hook for billions more in aid just to try to keep up with Moscow. By way of example, the Estonian commander said that the Russians have the capacity to produce several million artillery shells a year, and that far outstrips any European capacity. Plus, he said with the North Koreans providing the Russians another million or so shells each year, the West is even further behind, and that's including American manufacturing as well. General Haram also said that Russia can recruit hundreds of thousands of new troops, even millions, within a relatively short period of time. Ukraine, however, simply cannot. So unless Europe and the United States commit their own troops, Ukraine is at an impossible disadvantage. The Estonian defense chief then added this. While he has seen no intelligence to suggest that the Russians will invade any other European nations beyond Ukraine, he said, well, they might. And that's why he's encouraging his fellow Europeans to continue their investments in bolstering their militaries and keeping war aid flowing to Ukraine. According to the logic, it is better to fight the Russians in Kiev than in Krakow or the UK. So those are the latest facts and data out of Europe this morning about the war in Ukraine. Let me offer you my analysis and opinion. First, I think we have another set of intel failures to talk about. If we go back in time a bit, we had one in Iraq, another in Afghanistan, and now we have at least two in Ukraine. If you recall, the CIA and the DOD first believed that Ukraine would fall to the Russians within the first week or so of fighting, and they were wrong. And now they assess that Russia was pretty weak in terms of their weapons industry and that uh, that gave us an advantage. But they were wrong here too. And I think that means that we should have a wake-up call, certainly for our intel community and those who oversee it. Congress should be diving into this issue and demanding answers. Because we are looking at locking ourselves into billions more in war spending without really understanding our adversaries' capabilities. And we're doing that yet again. Second, I would encourage you all to be very careful about people who say that Russia is likely to invade the rest of Europe. We are hearing this from the Estonian general this morning. We have heard this from the White House and the Pentagon and even some politicians like Republicans Nikki Haley. But there is absolutely no intel that has been released publicly of any kind, whether it be high, low, or medium confidence, that suggests that this is true, that the Russians will invade. And even if we did have some good intel, we would probably have to kick the tires pretty hard on it because the intel community keeps getting this stuff wrong. In other words, my friends, if someone makes the claim that Moscow is going to march on Munich, now they got to prove it. Third. This appraisal from the Estonian general should be central, I think, to the debate on Capitol Hill about whether or not we should provide more funding to Ukraine at all. This statement by the general matches what we were hearing from European diplomats, plus the Pentagon. They are saying privately that Ukraine cannot win this war of attrition, even if we give them more war material. The Ukrainians face a very simple but very important set of deficits, especially in the number of men that they can throw at this war. So unless we are willing to send our sons and daughters to die in Ukraine to change that calculus, a peace deal remains the only unhappy path forward. And that's not just my opinion. I shared with you back in late December that the White House and the Pentagon are privately and quietly and slowly starting to shift gears, encouraging Ukraine and President Volodymyr Zelensky to hunker down and fight a defensive war and to prepare the ukrainian people for the painful reality that they are going to have to give up part of their country for peace and so that is what i will be looking for in 2024 with that ladies and gentlemen we conclude this morning's episode of the right report After a few days of longer episodes this week, we're going to dial back a little bit shorter today. But as ever, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.